out here in Kansas City covering the Steelers in the playoffs. In about three months, we'll be covering the Penguins in the playoffs. And in about fill-in-blank here, I'll be covering that other team in the playoffs. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. As noted, I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. Maybe the single most common question that anyone who follows the Pirates, even casually, puts forth is simply when. Like, when would it be okay to start investing in this team again? I don't mean them investing. I'm talking about you investing. If you're really into it, if you really follow the team closely, if you're following the minor league system and all that other stuff, the question still applies. Only you probably have a better handle as to what the answer might be. We keep waiting, it seems, and this is a very general we, for the management team to just come right out and say it. Like Ben Charrington's just supposed to say, 2024 is our year. This is it. 2026, whatever. And there's absolutely no benefit to doing that. It's not a matter of the people at 115 Federal not having any clue. They have to have some concept as to when their own peak talent would converge to the point that you would have a competitive roster in Pittsburgh. They have to know that. They have models galore. And I'm sure they have a year that they can circle and say, look, this is it. This is it. If we have this piece, this piece, and that piece in Pittsburgh projecting the way we'd expect, and we go out and we add, uh, let's say, a league average player or two from the outside to fill in the holes that we don't have, presto, contender. They have to know that. But the reason that they don't say it out loud is that it unnecessarily applies a finite stamp to the process. If you've been following baseball in Pittsburgh for a long time, you will remember Cam Boniface's infamous five-year plan. This thing gets repeated and regurgitated on talk radio into infinity. It will do so for the next hundred years. For anyone not familiar with it, Bonifay was the GM in the mid-90s when the Kevin McClatchy group took over ownership, and they whacked payroll down, I mean really whacked it down to $9 million. And they said, that's, that's the way it's going to be because we're going to build from the bottom up. We're going to build from the farm system on up and gradually add as we go. And they called it the five-year plan in hopes that A, people would have patience with it, and B, people would have patience with them. Meaning, you know, not have the GM fired after the first two or three seasons. Well, wouldn't you know that the infamous five-year plan ended up producing one whole year of competitive baseball? And you'll never guess which year that was if you don't already know this. Yeah, the very first. The Freak Show, as Greg Brown dubbed it at the time. The team that finished just three games out of first place, mostly because the division was terrible. The Astros 
barely won the division, squeaking it out past the Pirates only in the final weekend of the season. And it was a lot of fun, and people got their hopes up, and they did so falsely. Other than the starting rotation, which was terrific that year. That was the Jason Schmidt, Esteban Loaiza, Francisco Cordova group. That didn't miss a single turn. Can't even imagine that now, right? But the rest of the roster was exactly what you'd have expected. And in fact, the Pirates did not have anywhere near the farm system that Bonifay and the others had been suggesting that they might. All of their better young players, almost all of them, were already in Pittsburgh. That was those pitchers that I just mentioned. And that was it. And that was it. So people saw that and how that fell apart and how it did not lead into a winner when PNC Park opened in 2001. And that was the end of that blueprint now and forever. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone. An eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. So what is the answer? Well, first you have to pose the question, and reporters have done that. I've done that myself. I've asked Ben Sherrington when, and his somewhat coy response is sooner than most people think. And just to ensure that that's not something he's given only to the Pittsburgh media, he said it on MLB Network just about a month ago again, sooner than most people think. Well, lots of different ways you can interpret that, right? Most people think it'll be never, so it'll definitely be sooner than never, right? Seems like a healthy plan. And as if to prove that this is some company line and not just something that Charrington spoke off the cuff, his assistant GM, Steve Sanders, said something very similar in a recent interview. So that's the way they're going with this. Sooner than most people think. Well, most people do think never, especially after a 101-loss season. What is the actual date? What is the actual year? What's the target? What are they shooting for? Applying all the usual asterisks related to Major League Baseball being in a lockout and looking at a new economic system, and whatever impact that'll have on the Pirates. My own feeling is that A, it's not this coming year. I mean, they did just lose 101 games and they've added next to nobody. And no matter how... Your hopes are for O'Neill Cruz, Ronzi Contreras, and whatever Indianapolis cavalry might be on the way, they ain't it, meaning they're not the full cavalry. They'll help. But as I've been saying all along, it's not until the Greensboro slash Altoona crew gets here that you're going to have a real roster. That, to me, has always been the projection. You want to continue building up with the younger players that I just mentioned, and obviously with Brian Reynolds, Brian Hayes, and so forth, the talent that you do have in Pittsburgh. But if the bulk of your talent 
the spike in your organizational talent is in one level or near that level, that's your date. That's it. So I'm looking at Greensboro and all the arms that they have there and Quinn Priester and obviously in the infield, Nick Gonzalez, Leo Verpeguero. And I'm comfortable throwing into that Henry Davis because he's a number one overall pick. And those guys are always going to get fast-tracked. That's your group. That doesn't mean that they come to Pittsburgh and win it by themselves. It means that by the time they get here, you will have had that level of quality and quantity that Charrington's been talking about in order to compete at a contention level. Now, do they have to suck in the interim? No, of course not. Of course not. Could the Pirates still do more to foster a sense of faith at the Pittsburgh level by spending a little bit more and bolstering the supporting cast around Reynolds, Hayes, and other guys? Yes, and I feel like they really, really, really should, which is a point I was making all through the 2021 season. You can't just keep on being awful and waiting for these guys. There has to be a sense of building momentum, not just for people like me and you on the outside, but on the inside. You want the players, you want the coaches, you want Reynolds and Hayes and these other guys to believe that it's coming. It's coming. They're not wasting their time out there. It's coming. My own date on that is 2023. It really is. I just don't think you can go five years deep into this process and see that process as being viable. Ask Bonifay. He'll back me up on this. When we come back, just one question. And today's comes from JB, who asks, Hi, DK. Regarding the tectonic shift from television to streaming and the corresponding changes to individual team revenue in Major League Baseball, it seems to me that while this might help solve some of the inequities, it's a process that could take many, many years. Given what you know about existing TV rights and contracts for a significant shift to streaming, What's a reasonable timeline? Well, today's timeline day, apparently, around here. Uh, this one is longer. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And gradual. To the point that it might not even be recognized as it's happening. And there are a couple of big factors here. The regional sports networks, the cable networks, aren't about to go down without a fight. That's just not how business works. They're not about to just surrender. What you will see is regional sports networks offering their own streaming of games that you pay for. And then, in turn, running into conflicts with Major League Baseball. We're now seeing that start to play out in Los Angeles, which is where you'd kind of want it to play out because of the massive cable deal that the Dodgers have. If those cable companies start offering a product on streaming... And Major League Baseball says, wait, 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 no, no, no. 
we hold all the rights to all the streaming, then the cable companies can just come right back and say, oh, really? Do you? Okay, well, guess what? We're not letting you show our broadcasts, which is what happens now. Think about it. When you put on MLB.TV, you're watching a game. It's not a raw broadcast of something else. It's, it's that cable production that the cable company is paying for. The cable company can say, you know what? We're not letting you show this. So in turn, Major League Baseball says, all right, well, we'll just go in and produce our own broadcast. Well, they say, no, <laughs> that's not how it works either because we negotiated for and have in writing exclusive rights to broadcast this game. So it's it's going to end up playing out in the courts before there's even a set of ground rules. Once it does play out, I have a feeling, and this is why I brought up the Apple example on the show last week, I have a feeling that what you'll see that's much more likely to become something of a benefit to teams like the Pirates is that individual packages will be grafted off the bigger package and sold. For example, the Apple thing. They would get select games from Monday through Wednesday throughout the season. They'll just yank them out. And if you want to watch them, you got to sign up for Apple TV. All they want, the Apples and the Amazons and so forth, is for people to download their app and use their mechanism. The hardest part of their process as a company is to get people to download that app. They will do anything to get you to download that app onto your smart TV. Because their thinking is once we're on your TV, we'll win you over with all the rest of the stuff. And local sports can be a real lure in that regard. Uh, believe me, I heard Penguins fans loud and clear last week when there was a game that was played in Philadelphia that was only shown on ESPN Plus, and they had to go and grudgingly download this app. It didn't cost anything, at least not if you got it on the free trial basis, but it's it's an inconvenience, and it's an inconvenience. They know it's an inconvenience to you, and they want to do whatever they have to to get you to cross over. And I guarantee you a lot of people who downloaded that ESPN Plus app or even got it on the trial basis are going to stay with it. X percent always do. And they know that too. So they pay a big, big chunk of money. That money ends up getting spread evenly, back to baseball, to all 30 teams. And that is instant revenue sharing without needing the player's clearance for it. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one tomorrow.